Hey, what's up? Happy New Year. Sorry for the echo. It is only for the intro. This episode of Metric is about the Nintendo Switch and its totally bitchin' modular design. I asked uh, Chad Hayfley and Tim Broadwater, who are... Um, two metric alums and professional UX dudes, and I just love to listen to them talk. <laughs> I, I asked them to join me to conjecture about the user experience of the Nintendo Switch, the nostalgia market, and, um, and stuff like that. Real quick, do me a solid. Please tell two friends about this podcast. Take a second to rate or recommend it in either iTunes or Overcast or wherever. If you think it's pretty good, help bring metric to the attention of maybe some of the bigger UXE players in this space. You know their Twitter handles. <laughs> I, w- I would really appreciate it. Alrighty, let's get to it. This week we've got two uh, Metric Podcast alums, uh, Tim Broadwater and Chad Hayfley. Welcome, guys. Thanks. Good to be back. So we've been meaning to make this episode happen for a few weeks, but uh, I think we were all impressed, not just as gamers, but as user experience people back during the announcement of the Nintendo Switch. Um, So I thought we'd just Avengers Assemble for half an hour and just talk about it. So have, have either of you pre-ordered it? I want to. I want to pre-order it. <laughs> I guess if the opportunity arose, yeah. Especially since they just announced that, um, you know, um, Final Fantasy Fifteen is going to be coming out onto it, which takes, I think, all your fans back to Nintendo from when they left Nintendo <laughs> for PlayStation. That's probably the last time I seriously played Nintendo. That's a, that's a pretty good point. Mm-hmm. Return. <laughs> Are either yes. of you Wii U owners for comparison points? <sighs> I guess the, the you know the last Nintendo console I had was the N64. Yeah, I have currently I've owned every Nintendo system um, except the N64. I'm the exact same way. I skipped that one somehow. I'm glad because most people said it's awesome, and I'm like, ah, I just the, the space controllers that were so weird, and I wasn't really impressed with the graphics. Mm-hmm. I I waited out on that one, but currently I do have a Wii U, and I have the new. Th- 3ds xl with the the two joysticks and so yeah i those are pretty much what i play on the most and i do a little bit of steam gaming on pc i have to admit my wii u is the console that collects the most dust at the moment i mean they all collect dust i haven't been playing as much as i used to but the wii u is the one you could maybe grow something in the wii u is definitely i think um it is like one game comes out on it i think every season or maybe every six months <laughs> that you just got to get your hands mm-hmm. on and play. And then you're kind of, uh, wait for a bit, you know? Yeah. So, so I think for like the wild success of the original Wii, um, for all of its, um, record busting sales, I think incorrectly, it also signaled sort of like a change in brand for Nintendo that kind of created this division between the hardcore gamers, you know, the PlayStation and Xbox and the PC gamers and, like, the Nintendo brand. I have to admit that I, I had this bias that until until the Nintendo Switch, I, um, I, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. The Nintendo Switch uh, announcement really intrigued me, and for the first time in, you know, however long it's been, I was like, I'm going to 
pick this up. This seems awesome. It seems like a, a brand shift. The commercial had no children in it, right? It wasn't. It wasn't billed as like a, a family console. Certainly, like a cooperative and social console, but it wasn't like, hey, we're all in the living room with our yeah, waggle remotes. I think there's I, probably there's a law there that you that I think at least my perception is is that there was a law in regards to social gaming, right? And so. When I grew up and when I was in middle school and high school, you know, like going over to a friend's house and playing fighting games together and like Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter, playing Mario games or anything like that, that was like couch cooperation, right? And so then what happened is things started to move to like an online game format. Um, You know, Nintendo was very nerfed. I mean, you had to have... You had to know someone in the real world, and you had to have their friend code. And then oh, friend codes! Oh man! Oh yeah, and then you had to add theirs, and they had to add yours, and then it would link up. And you, and then that's still not even having a mechanism for you to say like, "Well, can we get on and play together at a certain time?" And I think Xbox and you know PlayStation has done this fantastic job about just like, "Oh, you can just jump into a game, and if you like someone, friend them, and you can talk to them, and you can see when they're on, and it just it's much more organic. It's much more how online gaming works. And Xbox Live is, what, more than a decade old now? Maybe it wasn't, like, launch, but it is, it's super early, and it certainly it was close to it, others. Yeah. I, I remember at the time, I think, Parallel, that was um, Medal of Honor Allied Assault years uh, for me, and uh, that was the game that I was uh, majorly playing on PC, which, you know, again, the... The, the early implications of at least all online multiplayer were, were huge. It had been a thing for a long time on, on the PC. But I think in hindsight, like I spent a lot of my high school and early college years uh, behind a screen with some headphones on. And it wasn't that I was like locked away um, hammering furiously at some leaderboard, but it was a social event. You know, we had Medal of Honor Allied Assault was a first-person shooter and so we had a clan and we had tournaments and it was a sport and there were um friends there yeah, the, right? the user experience is different and i think the reason why is because you're connecting to like 20 people online in different locations and whatever and that's a great experience for that type of game and i can tell you like nintendo has always kept it central to like well, you got four people over you got six people over and they're playing a party game together where they're all playing in the same living room and I can tell you from, like, having a huge gamer, I go to PAX as much as possible, the Penny Arcade <laughs> Expo. And um, I don't know that many people where it's like, let's have six people over to play Xbox. I don't know if that happens as much as it does for, like, mm, I don't think so. Um, mm. And I think what's interesting about this branding that you're talking about is, like, the experience looks amazing. It's like, I can take it with me. You know, I can project it to a large screen at any time. I can just break apart pieces of it and have four people yeah. play or two people play. And uh, it just seems more organic with real life. And it, what's exciting about it to me is when I look at that commercial, there's not, you're not alone at home, like just with your headset on. The first right. guy was. The first guy. Yeah. Was, and, but then it actually broke up and then went all over the world. So I want to uh, just take a second, and uh, for those listeners who aren't gamers, like um, we should maybe describe kind of like this modular design that really is pretty unique. Basically, what you see in the commercial, anyway, and I, is basically this dude with like, like a classic, like uh, like wi- like wired or wireless controller on a couch, and then something happens, and he's like, "Oh man, I have to get up. I have to go do something." So he walks up to his uh, Nintendo Switch, and he just 
pop. He just pops out of its container. I think he goes out and, and he, and he attaches like little handles to it. Or mm-hmm. Yeah, he that's what he does. Yeah, he go he take he continues his game. It's the same game. It's not um, a diminished game. It's like he just picks up his game and now it's no longer on the flat screen, but it's on this uh, tablet with uh, two little detachable Joy Cons, uh, these joystick removable, interoperable, interesting looking remotes. One person will take one of the uh, Joy Cons. They'll kind of like turn them on their side and play them like uh, old school Nintendo controllers on the same little small screen. What it suggests is this omni-channel experience where you're popping between not just screens but entirely different contexts, some social, some solo. I, I think it might be like the first time you've seen that. And I've seen attempts at, I think we've all seen attempts at that kind of um, omnipresent play before. Like if you have a PlayStation 4 and a PlayStation Vita, you can play PS4 games on the Vita. I think um, Microsoft has done something similar where you can play Xbox One games on your PC, but that's, like, Nintendo's taking it a step further, where you can take the whole thing with you out of the house. Like, you, with the Vita, you still have to be within range to connect your PS4 at home, essentially, but in another room, whereas the Switch lets you take the whole thing on the go. I will say it first and foremost, and I wrote a, a post about this on my website, <laughs> but it's kind of, I am a Nintendo fanboy. Um, I, I have I bought into the brand loyalty a while ago, um, and it's just I've found out you know um, their user experience, uh, the play style. Um, I think the products they deliver are very polished. I've never picked up uh, you know the specific games that I want to play. I've never had a bad experience, and when I see you know that they're taking this modular piece and then taking it to another person because there's a place where they play like an NBA Jams kind of game where they take two screens and put them back to back and they wirelessly sync to each other then they break off four controllers and they all start playing mm-hmm. uh, that's you know that's amazing to me that's you know uh, I think that's probably the essence of great product design that's the essence of like um, you know just a great designed artifact you know and I think that's every input device that I think Nintendo has had, which um, if it's like a light zapper or the power pad or the the power glove, it's so rad. (laughs) 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 Uh, Or, you know, all the way to the Wii Remote and even the Wii U. We're using the first tablet kind of in games. I think Mm -hmm. they're all, you know, um, I don't see them as gimmicky. I see them as these great interaction kind of pieces that work really well. Yeah, I have to agree. They've I don't I don't think I've ever played a first party Nintendo game that left me disappointed. I mean, you know, some of the third party stuff is a bit of a crapshoot, but even on the Wii U, their, you know, perhaps least successful console, uh every like Mario Kart, Smash Brothers, all the big franchises they've got going, they treat them really really well no matter what they do, and I'm excited to see what the new capabilities of the Switch let them tap into. Yeah, I was actually um I travel a lot for work and uh I've been going through I've been I got a uh, subscription to uh, audible.com and um, I've been polishing off all the UX books that I've wanted to read for a long time and so Tim love- real quick would you recommend an audible.com <laughs> book uh, of that you've recently read that you know maybe our listeners could use a wonderful link for a free 30-day trial audibletrial.com slash metric to, yeah. give it a, to get their free book <laughs> yeah no i would say probably the best one that you can check out right now is if you haven't read it you need to read hooked 
Hooked is how to build habit-forming products and designs. It's fantastic. And the other one is Sprint, which is kind of how to I love track. that book. Yeah, Sprint. They're yeah, both amazing awesome. books. If they, they're kind of like, I would say, the 21st century. Like here in 2016, if you're wondering what books need to make up your uh, UX kind of library, I would say Hooked. I would say Sprint, and I would even say No UX. Those book, three books are amazing. But yeah, so not, not to be a <laughs> shameless plug for Audible, but uh, I they actually had a reduced price book where you could go back and you could read Don Norman's like The Design of Everyday Things. And I think in that, he kind of talks about, you know, products, you know, of the Nielsen Norman group, Norman, Don Norman is more the object-oriented physical kind of, you know, interacted where... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the other was more dealing with interfaces, I think, in HCI. But when he's describing these objects that make people really happy to use them, objects that when people look at them, they can see how they work visibly and that they give the appropriate feedback and they, they constrain you in ways to you can't use them in ways that are counterintuitive or don't work. Mm-hmm. And they map to where, you know, uh, if I move right, it moves right. And if I push forward, it moves forward, you know. Those kind of experiences that make objects, you know, very easy to pick up and to use and to make this kind of return enjoyment. Uh, I, I, th- I think of, like, the light zapper, the power glove. I think of, like, you know, mm-hmm. the Wii remote. And I think of, I probably, like, looking towards this, you know, Nintendo Switch. It looks like this is just going to be so much fun. And it, I could tell from just watching a three-minute commercial on it how to use it, you know. What do you think of the potential for... Uh sticking with that physical object metaphor like Nintendo hasn't said they're doing this but they obviously could make different Joy-Cons that go on each side with different inputs and controls and things like that I've seen some fan made uh, concept art for some of that stuff where you know you might make one that looks like a fishing reel if you think back to the days of the Wii there were all these weird little plastic things that you could fit the Wiimote inside that would make it do different things and they you know succeeded and failed to varying degrees Uh, but I'm wondering if that might be more successful being more integrated into the experience in this way, where you can actually t- attach and detach different control units as needed for different games. Um, I think, yeah, there's definitely... I think there's some already out there, actually. <laughs> so oh. if you look <laughs> at... Um, I think one is the the Mighty Action X, is I'm thinking the product that's right, where it's actually this um, drawing-shooting kind of thing. It actually puts on, like, a kid's kind of handle to it and, like, a place to hold other... Like drawing pins, and so I think it's yeah. You could look for it. I think if you just like Google search, um, you know, Nintendo wow. Switch add-ons. Like <laughs> developers are already kind of I think That's going crazy. with it. You know, and for I think a some of them that we know almost nothing about yet. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so they've obviously released like developer stuff to some degree. This creates a an additional like third party or secondary like collectible market and it's something that nintendo's been doing to success with you know amiibo um and these things for a long time like special cases you know they've really been able to um appeal to that part of like the gamer culture as well so their, their first party games are tend to be excellent their hardware tends to be really good and innovative and they also kind of like feed our need to collect and modify and expand and and tinker. I was going to say I think Nintendo has done a better job of tapping into the physicality of of console games than either the Xbox or the PlayStation 4 has. 
uh, with like the amiibos you mentioned, like these are physical things. They're not digital downloadable titles that um, that you know the Xbox and PlayStation are pushing. And if Nintendo again, like we're totally theorizing that they're going to do extensive different controller Joy-Con things, but if they do go that route then, like, the physicality of it becomes even more important? Like, would you even be able to download a game if you don't have the physical controller required for it? Interesting. And then, you know, the whole idea that you're picking up the whole console and taking it with you, like, it feels like it exists in your physical space much more to me than either of the other major consoles do right now. Yeah, I think that, um, what I love about Nintendo, as opposed to, and I think it's just the nature of the company, and it's the nature of, um, it being rooted primarily in Japan, I think I love that they kind of reference themselves as they go forward. And so, the light zapper is in other games. I think it's in like they've like Duck Hunt is in <laughs> Super Smash Brothers. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that they have Rob the Robot, um, which you know was this thing that came out for the NES, robotic operating buddy, you know, and it was this robot that could pick up, like, gyromite spheres and drop it on little <laughs> little spin tiles to help play. So you're like, if you were home alone and you wanted an electric buddy to play with, you had one. Um, and then that's now an amiibo as well. And so I think one of the positive things, uh, like you said, Chad, is that people have this, associate this physicality with it, and that they when they think back, they have, like, all the whole plethora of, like, power pads and turbos and, you know, gloves and zappers and, like, uh, being one of the first consoles that you could actually take the Game Boy and plug it into the console system, I think is just, um, it's just amazing. It's just, you know, kind of groundbreaking, in in my opinion. Yeah, they definitely have that history and know how to tap into it without it feeling too shameless or, or um, blatant marketing. Yeah, I'm interested to see... Um, I'm scheduled to go to PAX this spring. Ah, uh, jealous. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I got... You know, because the tickets sell out in like five seconds. Yeah. I mean, like the first five minutes. And so you can... You have to kind of piece together some tickets from the other days. And like within 15 minutes, like the... One of the days sells out. But uh, it's interesting because I went like three years ago and then I didn't go for two years and I went this year... And what I saw change dramatically is that from the developer standpoint, um, they don't care. Developers don't care about Nintendo or, or um, Sony or you know, not really Xbox. I mean, they develop Steam games first. And then the, the games are developed on a PC kind of environment. And then they're rolled out to whatever platforms they think they'll do well in. And so there's a huge category of games now that you can just get on PC. But one of the other things that I thought was amazing is that there was four years ago, there was maybe one tournament going on where people could go in and you could, it was in the new Mortal Kombat at that time. And you could, they had a hundred people sign up for the tournament and you could just had crowds upon crowds of people watching them play at, you know, the Penny Arcade Expo in Boston. And then they had announcers for the game, like as people are playing. And so, since then four years later to this year, 2016, um, the gaming culture has changed so much that, you know, YouTube gaming commentators are now huge online. And then there was like 20 games there that had commentators and and this. And so what I really thought was exciting is in this Nintendo Switch commercial, at the very last part of the commercial showed them going to like convention playoffs, a team of five versus a team of five playing Splatoon. And so I just think 
with their marketing, they really tapped into like what the current um, gaming culture is right now, which is exciting. So we keep talking about that awesome marketing video that they had. Are either of you nervous that that's going to be just marketing and not going to live up to it? I keep thinking of you know the initial video that um, prom- promoted Google Glass when it was going to be a thing, <laughs> and like that video was amazing, and then Google Glass came out and was not that device as depicted in the video at all. Well, and then also I think Google Pixel just came out like the phone. They've been doing <laughs> like a kick butt market right now, but then. I think within like a couple weeks, OnePlus One announced their OnePlus Three phone, and it completely blows it out of the water and is half the cost. So it's a concern, I definitely think, because now that this is like the gauntlet has been thrown down, I'm very curious to see what <laughs> you know um, PlayStation and Xbox are going to how they're responding <laughs> to it. Mm-hmm. I think as a, a non-customer of Nintendo. I'm not actually worried. I think the history of Nintendo marketing has actually uh, demonstrated the capability of their products in a realistic way. The Wii behaved as the Wii was presented to behave in the commercials, the Wii U as well. What really kind of like sunk the Wii U was maybe like lack of like third-party developer support um, and some things like that, and maybe some, I I don't know, over-optimism in um, how it would sell. But I think... In a way, Nintendo is not dissimilar from Apple in that, at least in terms of like hardware and their first-party product, they tend not to release something until it's right. There's always exceptions, but I actually look at like kind of like the the, the vague history of of this company, and then look at the Nintendo Switch, and I feel actually pretty optimistic. I don't think it oversold itself. I think there's probably two things about what you just said. One is is it's funny enough, there is kind of a hype and miscommunication, or misperception is a better word, because uh, the Wii U actually had, like, every third-party game, mm-hmm. um, pretty much, but they came, wow. out de- they came out delayed. They weren't, mm. they weren't released at the same time as, you know, like Batman Arkham Asylum or all of the Call of Duties and, like, any of those type of games. Those all actually came out, um, but they just weren't... Uh, they came out later. It took some time right. to turn them. And, then the and, other and not only late, but they also didn't really take advantage of the unique capabilities of the Wii U at all. Right. They, they, they were ports, and, and they were demonstrative that, the, that, for whatever reason, that the third parties didn't prioritize that hardware, you know? Now, some of them did. Some of them who took the extra time, like Batman was a, a fantastic one. Yeah, I saw it here. I heard it was good. And that it really used the tablet in a creative kind of way. And... Um, but the other piece is, is that for all the people who left, who remember Nintendo as this nostalgic, like, it was fantastic, and mm-hmm. then they, maybe because of Final Fantasy or whatever, they, they left and went to PlayStation or Xbox, I mean, Nintendo just dropped their new hotness, which is this classic, which you can't even get because it's sold <laughs> out at every store, and it has like 30 of their most popular games on it and it's just like a plug and play that's a little Nintendo that fits in your back of your in your hand and you know so they the people who want the nostalgia gaming will totally get that and it's only 50 bucks you know um, and that's that's like con- considered like one of the hottest shopping items this Christmas because um, people bought them up scooped them up and now are reselling them for thousands of dollars on eBay <laughs> And, and that highlights how Nintendo's mastered the art of getting me to buy the same game over and over again. I, th- I think I've probably right. bought Super Mario Brothers three, five, or six times at this point. 
for different consoles generations. Yeah, I mean that's and I'm, gladly, I'm not complaining. I'm happy to buy it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I I I don't think the perfect like console exists to where people want. I want total backwards compatibility, and I want total mm-hmm. forwards capability and expansion, and I want mobile. And you know, it just doesn't exist. Um, but what excites me about what they're talking about right now with Modern Warfare and and then Kingdom Hearts and Metal Gear 5 and Final Fantasy all being on Nintendo Switch um, and that uh, they're kind of po- poking fun at like well, whatever our friend system ends up being like on the Nintendo Switch, <laughs> it won't be able to be hacked. Um, and so that's kind of, you know, I don't we haven't seen it yet, of course. That's a bold claim to make. That, exactly. It, it is. Are they making that claim because they're using um, cartridges instead of discs? Well, so I think they're still going to be doing... Um, so Nintendo discontinued um, you know, their, their yearly platinum and gold member accounts where you could purchases and earn things and do surveys and stuff and so, oh. I, and so that, they got rid of that and then I think they've mentioned about moving completely to digital as possible but if you look there's some type of cartridge your memory card that's being loaded into it but we don't know exactly um, what that is I think there's always going to be a person who wants to go out and physically buy the game mm. and you can't ever eliminate um, that capability you know from a practical standpoint, you know, you couldn't really do a portable console like this with optical media. So if if there's any physical copies of the games at all, I think it's going to have to be cartridges. I, I know that there have been a few people um, who have kind of balked at the idea of cartridge, but Nintendo's been doing the cartridge. I mean, they have, like, I think their own factories. Uh, you know, they, they're in their cartridge optimization and perfection business at this point. I think one of the other things also is that the cartridge is um, faster, they're prioritizing performance of the device. Turn on, get the game, bulge through those uh, loading screens. They're appealing to that point of need, need it now, much better than than disc. And, and probably because the Switch itself might not have the hard drive space to download like, you know, 60, 70 gigabyte games, which would help with those load screens. So I think like the cartridge is uh, like a faster medium that's been largely otherwise like abandoned. But well, I think the other piece is too, is that everyone's expecting and like I certainly at some point with, you know, and and I will say I'm a Nintendo fanboy, but (laughs) but with the the insane graphics, like when you get to the Mm. level of like um, spec mapping and bit mapping everything mm-hmm. to where you actually have physical textures in the 3D model that refract light and you get this amazing graphics it's just like at some point you're like I kind of just want to play the game um, <laughs> and so like I play tons of games on my 3DS it has horrible graphic resolution you know I play games on my Android phone and so um, to some degree if what they have to serve up works on you know, a 1080 like HD screen, but then also works on their small screen. I'm fine with it, uh, and I think a lot of people um, will be fine with it too. I don't know how many like total hardcore graphic people are out there. I think there's always that stereotype for like PlayStation or like Xbox people, but I don't mm-hmm. know if it's just if it is. I think it is a stereotype to where the graphics have to be super specularity and have total HD and have bump mapping and all this. I, I don't know if that's what the percentage of gamer that is, you know. 
I suspect it's a vocal minority, but the the one um, upshot of specs is that they are unlike you know subjective reviews. Uh, specs are you are able to objectively compare them against you know like a competitor, right? So you can say like, oh, the Xbox or the PS4 is better than the Xbox because of these hardware numbers, right? Um, whereas you know like side by side, you know you'd have to be pretty picky to discern i think there is some like market advantage to me it looks strategically like the target audience is yes the nintendo customer more than that they're looking to fill like a a gap that xbox lacks and the playstation isn't supporting as well there seems there appears to be a market that nintendo is optimized for taking and tim i want to step back to something you said a minute ago I think you you mentioned, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see them make games that will work both on a giant 1080p screen and on the mobile device. I'm really excited to see how they solve those design challenges. Like, will the will the game change its interface between the two different screens? Like, will we see an equivalent of responsive design for games? <laughs> it'll be really interesting to see how they tackle that. Because, you know, interface elements that work really well in one context, the lean back versus the up close, are going to be totally different. Is there any indicator how that works? They basically, they have the the game system is the thing you carry around with you, which is the mm-hmm. screen, and then the dock is a charger as well as you know what sends it to the large screen. And so, no, I don't. Th- the beautiful thing about this is it's all conjecture at this point. We have no idea. <laughs> we have three minutes of marketing footage that we're basing this on. Yes, <laughs> three minutes of marketing footage, and we have no specs. And people want specs, right? We live in a very spec driven um and tech culture i mean between you know what type of phones that people want people are very brandist and then but if if the specs go one specific way to such a degree they will abandon a brand because it's like not making sense anymore for me to get like a samsung or for me to have uh you know an apple or a or an android product anymore and so until they come out with some to some specs, yeah, it's it's kind of all up in the air about how it's all going to work. I think there's a lot of things that we could talk about. I love the ideas uh, about revisiting this uh, kind of like nostalgia market. We're pushing our um, we're pushing our time though. I wonder if either of you have any kind of summarizing like takeaways. I think you want to leave off with my takeaway. I think mostly is I'm just excited to see something different come out in the console gaming area. I mean, I I love my Xbox, I love my PlayStation, but they're in a lot of ways functionally equivalent to each other. What, I, yeah, a, th- a coworker that I have actually turned me on to a great um, UX article over the summer, and it's on a list apart, and it's called Object Oriented UX. I know mm-hmm. it's a good read if you ever check it out, um, but it's basically uh, it's interesting because I see many parallels to what's going on with the Nintendo Switch to kind of um, object-oriented user experience. And so how what serving up different kind of like you're saying modular things that can adjust or interrelate to each other and but it fits in organically and very um, it's versatile with the human experience. So being able to take it to walk your dog or sit on your couch or take it to a friend's party or have it with you at the airport to play for a second, or um, 
doing something at a coffee shop, that's what's a really appealing to me. And like, I can't, I'm not, I'm beyond the days of my youth where I'm going to pack up my PlayStation, <laughs> my Wii U, or my Xbox and take it somewhere, you know? And so I think the exciting thing for me is kind of that, um, that it is versatile and that it can be ported around. And it seems like there's like, oh, it has a bunch of very cool art options that kind of interwork with each other and how the experience can change and map with itself and the users or with itself, its other parts and multiple users is very object oriented kind of like user experience to where it can constantly change and it can work for you how it works best for you, you know. Yeah, I think they're putting an emphasis on the experience being modular. And I mean obviously the controller hardware is modular also, but you know, the dock is just a dock. It doesn't add extra processing power or anything like that to it. Whereas I think a lot of the older, partially failed stuff that you were talking about, Michael, are um, attempted to do more with the hardware as modularity. And I, mm-hmm. I think the Switch is maybe focusing more on the modular experience, which might really work for them. Um, Chad, you uh, talk a little bit about Gamification Unlocked. Yeah, so my co-host Brandon and I have a podcast. We're about uh, 14 or 15 episodes in now, Gamification Unlocked. We're at unlockinggames.com. Uh, and we, I have you know background in user experience. Brandon has a background in um, corporate training and instructional design. So every week we talk about a different gaming-related topic through one or both of those lenses. I think our latest one we wrapped up talking about um, adventure games and discovery learning and uh, the terrible, terrible things that King's Quest used to make us do. <laughs> I was uh, yeah, at first. It's it's a super podcast. I think I told you like Thank when you. you like when you announced like the first episode. I was really kind of sad. I didn't think about it first. <laughs> uh, I got this. Um, it's really appealing. Uh, I was thinking about during your last episode on uh, on Xbox Gold. One of the free games uh, last month, uh, which would have been October, was the remastered version of um, The Secret of Monkey Island. And, oh, um, yeah. <laughs> that was, and I remember that. That's a that was a great podcast that you had. <laughs> it's the yeah. It's this um. It's this notion of um. It's this it's this old school adventure game um that uh is is relatively straightforward. And I think maybe because I have you know like twenty or thirty years of experience playing these kind of old school adventure games, but um I find myself like clicking around on the screen because like I have to like stomp on a board to knock like a fish like off the plank or something and you know it's just this kind of shit that is like a you would you would never without clicking aimlessly uh you would never discover Chad in the podcast you described like running around in Wolfenstein um mm-hmm. trying to like <laughs> just like hitting B to see if you can uh um, open to find secret passages in the wall, and so that you would do that in literally like every room on every level of Wolfenstein. Yeah, I would just um, hug every wall, walk around the outline of every level, find yeah. all the secret loot. That's, that's a super fun topic. Um, and yeah, yeah, I, I totally recommend like folks go out there and like listen to it and rate it positively. Um, and <laughs> yes, check it please. out. And I can't believe it's been like 15 episodes. That yeah, seems, me neither. Um, yeah, it's a. I've listened to the both uh, metric. And yours, they're both great podcasts. I would uh, thank you. Highly recommend anyone listening to. Yeah, and Tim, and and for Tim, I'm just gonna like plug some of the stuff. So like you were like uh, earlier in this episode, you're talking about um, interaction model artifacts, and you have this uh, really great. I don't, I've never seen this before. You have this really great. Um, I'm gonna link to it in the show notes. This really great remediation toolkit uh, website um, that is. Um, 
the nice old school pixelated design. Um, but, um, but as an introduction to like remediation as like a design, um, uh, a design technique or a design pattern. Um, and it just walks you through like all the different uh, examples and little tools that you can use. And then, of course, you have this old article from 2014 um, with with gems. I sort of like you you talked about it, but I had never seen this Nintendo robot thing. This is crazy. Um, oh, Rob the robot! One, Rob one the of robot, the great regrets yeah. of my childhood is that I did not own one. Uh, it's it's fantastic, and I think if you find them in your vintage game, your local vintage game stores, they're super expensive now. <laughs> uh, but uh, I don't I don't have really. I feel like I need to start a podcast now or something. But I don't really have uh, I don't really have uh, anything to plug. But I, I have some writing and stuff. Like I do a bunch of disparate projects that are all kind of shared on my website timbroadwater.com. So feel free to check it out if you want. All right, guys. Well, have a good night. Thank you so much for uh, making the time to uh, come and talk games. Yeah, it was fun. I got to go wait in line for my Switch now. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, guys. (laughs) 